Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Fellowship Church. We are glad to have you here with us, whether you're here in this space, as I see your faces, um, some of you behind masks, I imagine your smiles. And for those of you who are on the other side of the screen, uh, whether you're joining with us online uh, this morning or catching up later in the week, we are glad that you are here. We trust that God is in this space, that God has been in this space um, and invites us to join him in this space. Um, we orient our lives and our, our church uh, calendar around the story of God. And sometimes we have a little moment at the beginning of the service that's kind of, where are we? Like those maps where you're like, where are we? Um, we've done the Advent thing. We've done the Christmas thing for 12 days. And then this last Thursday was Epiphany. And Epiphany is such a big word, but I kind of think of it as like a light bulb that's turned on. It's a revelation. It's a manifestation, an appearance. But what does that mean? Um, it's associated with the story of the wise men coming from the far eastern lands and seeing the star and traveling far to come and worship this king. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus came not just for a small nation of Israel, not for this little ethnic group or this little faith group here, but for the whole world, a light for all nations. And so this morning we celebrate that light. Um, even though it happened on Thursday, this is the closest Sunday to it. So we celebrate Epiphany today and we are entering into our John series and John has some wonderful things to say about who Jesus is. So I invite you with that in mind this morning um, to stand and, I, and hear as, as we enter into our time of worship, stand and let's hear from Psalm chapter 86. It's not traditionally associated with Epiphany, but it is, it has these themes in it, and I encourage you to listen for them. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. In the day of my trouble, I will call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love forever. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Let's sing to that God this morning. Arise, shine, for your light has come at the glory of God.
seated. but we're going to do so woven together with a song, so that's why I'm warning you in advance before we pray so that you're ready after I share some words together. We will then join together with the words that are on the screen in song and then return to our prayers of confession and do that a few times over. So I invite you to join us in prayer now. Let's pray together. God, as we gather today for worship at the beginning of a new year, and particularly on Epiphany Sunday, the day in which we celebrate a star that led the wise men to your son, Jesus. We pause to confess that nowadays we are all too quick to think of ourselves as our own stars. Generations ago, people longed for a Messiah. Today, we often think that we have no need for a Messiah or perhaps even that we are that Messiah ourselves. Enter John the Baptist, one who authoritatively pointed at Jesus and said, look, there, the one that was first marked by a star in the sky, he is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Today we confess to you, O oh God, that sometimes we don't know what to do with ourselves. We are easily offended and sometimes imagine great vengeances upon our offenders. We are lazy and we laze about, taking for granted the good news that stands right before us. We care for ourselves and sometimes forget to care for others. We live as if the world depends upon us, when the truth is, in fact, that this world belongs to you, O oh God.
We confess also today, O oh God, that we are quick to deny our sinfulness. We think we are good enough or better than someone else that we think is worse than us. We live many of our days without a thought of you, O oh God. We lack the resolve to become the people you are calling us to be. We are more comfortable with the ways of this world, ways of individualism, consumerism, antagonism, indifference. We know these ways better than we know the way of the cross, the way of Jesus, the hope of the world. So now today, O oh God, our God, we join the wise men who traveled far to visit Jesus, and we lay all of our treasures and all of our troubles at his feet. We pray that we would now be still long enough to hear John the baptizer say, look, here he comes, and here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, the good news is that the one that John came to announce came to deal with the sin problem. And the scriptures tell us that in his name, our mourning is turned into dancing. And so we intend to join our voices together and to celebrate this good news together this morning. Would you stand? And though we're not gonna ask you to dance, I am gonna encourage you to put your hands together on beat with me. <laughs> it helps us get into it. There's a real joy in this song.
What fun. You may be seated. What a fun song to sing, especially after our Advent and Christmas celebrations where we took a deep soak in this idea of light breaking into this world that is sometimes all too dark. So very, very cool. Hey, my name is Ross Dielman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, and together it is our mission to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. We're thrilled for the many of you who have already been following along that way and living that mission with us, and we are always eager to welcome in new folks who want to join us in, in living that particular way in the world. If that's you, and if a new year uh, has kind of sparked in you a desire to get connected in a little deeper than we were before, uh, we invite you to uh, snag one of our connection cards uh, or, or online. Somehow make yourself known to us. We can't really know you till you uh, make yourself known to us a little bit at least, and we'd be eager to get to know you and uh, welcome, in, welcome you into our fellowship together. One of the big ways that we do that is highlighted in this thing. Did you get this on the way in this morning? Okay, great. If not, they're available on the way out, and you can get them uh, other ways through our website and stuff like that, but their hard copies are here on campus. Uh, it is our ministry guide, which includes all kinds of different ways to get involved in the life of the church, uh, from the youngest to the oldest and everything in between here. For now, I simply want to take a moment to highlight, because they'll start up again this Wednesday, our community nights are one of the hot spots, if you will, for these types of things. We come together for uh, an exceptionally good meal in the atrium together there at about 545. And then uh, uh, after eating together, we break out into various groups, uh, kids, middle school, and adult. And there's uh, some fresh opportunities I'll highlight, particularly for adults, since they shift a little bit. Uh, uh, there's four of them that will be on the roster. A few of them start afresh this coming Wednesday. Uh, one is our Fellowship Lab. We're calling it Fellowship Lab 2.0, and this time we will yet again focus on uh, uh, fun and meaningful things together, and particularly uh, looking at the ways in which our discipleship is often missing or ignored, and how we get stuck in ruts. And it's intended to be a rich, rich journey of getting unstuck together, and it's always good to start at the start. That is a very open place, though, so if you miss a time or whatever, please do just drop in and check it out, whatever. So that's one option. It's called Fellowship Lab. There's information in there. Another one is an open fellowship group. We love fellowship groups around here, and we have new this semester, one that's just open, as in show up, try it out. Uh, uh, and that's a place where you share your life, you can laugh, you can care for one another, you can study and grow, all of those kinds of things. There's an open fellowship group. We have our standard Better Together Bible study, which is an awesome way of studying the Bible together, and particularly the text that would be preached the following Sunday. So it's a rich experience that kind of gives double, uh, at least. Uh, and then in the future, we have the Colossian Way is something that's developing. You can read about all of those things uh, in this ministry guide alongside tons of other stuff. So 
by and large, if you're looking to belong, grow, and serve together, Wednesday night's a great place, but it's not the only place. And you can see all those things uh, in our ministry guide there. Next, and this is for today, we have a slide, I think. There's a refugee housewarming shower today information a little bit in your bulletin there, but this is a way for our faith community to love on these newest ones joining our midst, and so please uh, partake in that uh, to, to the way that you are able and, uh, and, and desiring to do so. And then I want to invite forward Heather Postma. I see here off to the side. We're, uh, we're due for an update, and it's kind of an exciting time. And she is uh, co-chair with Scott Patchen on our pastoral search team, which is a journey. In case you are new, uh, we, we said farewell to one of our three pastors way back in June of the summer and uh, have begun the process of, of wondering who might join us. So Heather is here to give an update. Thanks. Um, hi, Fellowship. This is, uh, I'm pretty excited to bring you this news today. Uh, it's been, for us, it feels like a short process. For you, maybe a little bit long, but, um, you know, we have some great, great candidates that we are bringing uh, to Nate and Ross coming up soon here. I just want to thank the team. It's been amazing. Uh, everybody brought their gifts to the table, and we've functioned just really well, and you know, the, we had the interviewing skills, we had, you know, the communication skills, um, and so it's been really well, done really well. Um, before Christmas, we wrapped up our in-person interviews and narrowed it down to a couple of amazing candidates, which I could probably say either would be, be a great fit with fellowship. So our next step is to get them meeting with Nate and Ross and do some interview and kind of just hope that we feel led to that, that final person. Um, we just value your, your prayers for us during this final phase and, and that you guys are trusting us to fill these big, the big shoes of Lindsay. And um, yeah, so just keep praying for us during this final phase that everything just goes smoothly. You bet. Thank you, Heather, and I, I think I'm hearing you say you can, you can wander off. I'll just summarize that, but uh, uh, a couple prayers. One would be thanks be to God. The process has gone really, really smoothly in a way that we can give thanks for, and the team is awesome, uh, and they're doing a great job, so we can say that, but then also this next phase is a, is a phase of discernment, so do pray with thanksgiving, but also for discernment uh, in the weeks and months that are upon us. We give thanks uh, for this opportunity and for this chance to be the church together. Let's continue in worship with song. At this time, I do want to invite our kids who are ages three years through fifth grade um, to head to Sunday school. Miss Betsy and Emily are waiting for you out there. Um, and I'll invite all of us to stand and really center our hearts um, upon asking the Holy Spirit to shine God's light upon our hearts as we hear God's word spoken. Would you stand and let's sing together? Light up. 
Lord God, we take pause this morning, and as we do every Sunday morning, to turn our attention deeply towards your word, and we give you thanks that we have this book that tells us your story, tells us about your character, tells us particularly about your son Jesus and what it means to follow him. And as we prepare to do that again this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, may be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. The Lord be with you. So this morning took a bit of a big shift uh, in my life, particularly in yours this morning, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. I am not Nate Skipper, and your bulletin tells you that Nate Skipper would be preaching right now, and he woke up this morning not feeling well and then took a home test and tested positive for COVID. And so... Uh, kind of a brief shift in his life and our life together. Uh, we miss him in our midst. We also know him well to know that he would love to be in your midst right now too. But of course, uh, it is just wise and good for him to stay home and, and, and be safe and recover. He's not hospitalized. He is feeling some things, uh, but he also is fully vaccinated. So he is okay, but you certainly can keep him in your prayers uh, as, as he walks the journey, which kind of started for him this morning. So... Uh, 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 Nate, we miss you. I bet he's with us unless he's sleeping, but uh, hello, Skipper. Uh, second of all, uh, I, I want to give you a couple tips I learned from my childhood about what to do with a boring sermon. This is a first for me. Uh, I have a legal pad for my sermon this morning, which is what I got, and uh, which is exciting. When I was growing up, a few things I did in church, because uh, I grew up in the church. I know not everybody did, but if you did, maybe you can relate. Some of the things that I would do during the sermon time would be to look up and count the lights in the sanctuary, and it's kind of interesting to figure out how many light bulbs there would be. I would do that. When it came to communion time, I got out Wilhelminas. Do you remember those? You kind of pull out the drawer and you get out one of those things. And at communion time, I would begin, I would pop the Wilhelmina right at the beginning of the liturgy. And the goal would be to not bite it and still have it by the time the whole communion practice was done. I usually didn't make it. One step up for my good buddy, whose name was Paul, at a different church, he would, during worship service, pop a Jolly Rancher and then put his elbow on his knee and his face on his chin. Whoa. And then he would see how big of a drool pile he could get on the... <laughs> we have carpet, so don't do that, okay? <laughs> That's kind of what we do to sometimes get through sermons. I actually do not think that this... Well, it shouldn't be. If it is, it's my fault. We have a fascinating uh, journey to begin together, and I'm really excited about it. We are entering into a new sermon series. You can kind of get the hint of it on the front of our bulletin uh, here, and we're, we're entering into this big question of who is this man? The question is, of course, about Jesus, and it's an exciting journey for us to enter into. I want to point out something that will be recurring for you. On the bottom uh, right side, inside of your bulletin there, there is a digging deeper who is this man kind of journey there. What we're hoping for is that beyond even this Sunday morning journey, you would be able to take some steps, including not only the art that is on the cover of the bulletin that is hoping to make you say, huh, who is this man and these things that we have about him? But also inside there, you can see that there is a suggestion to read along with the gospel. We're going to be almost but not perfectly one chapter per week. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. 
couple times we'll pair them up and do double duty, but you'll see that you'll be invited into a deep soak, if you will, on the, uh, the chapter 1, John 1, for this following week, to read it recurringly. And it's paired with a psalm, one that we've actually shared in this worship service already. There's also a QR code there for uh, discussion questions for fellowship groups and or to just simply journal or reflect on. They're available. And then last but not least, there's an invitation to watch The Chosen. I don't know if you know what The Chosen is, but The Chosen is a crowdfunded video series uh, that particularly leans into the disciples and what it was like to follow Jesus, but of course it's about Jesus as well. And so it's going to invite you uh, per week to take a look at one episode. You might be drawn into watching more. It'll jump around, uh, so it'll be attempting to link with our text, and sometimes it does really, really well, and other times uh, just loosely associated, but you're invited to do that as well. That's available online. If you Google search The Chosen, you'll be there. It's, it's, it's free to watch together. But by and large, the big question that we're hoping just haunts us over the next while in a good way is this question about Jesus that says, who is this man that is so fascinating to the world? In fact, I think I've shared this quote with you before, but I'm going to share it with you again. A man named Yaroslav Pelikan, superb name that I'm jealous of, uh, historian at Yale University who is looking at world history, writes this paragraph about this person named Jesus, which might get us thinking. He says, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of supermagnet to pull out of world history every scrap of metal that bears at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? It is from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendar. It is by his name that millions curse and in his name that millions pray. That's just a smidge bit, a summary of how impacting this person named Jesus was who walked this earth as a man 2,000 years ago and has forever changed world history. A fascinating uh, overview of his impact on the world from someone who knows history really well. You may remember, this is actually one of my favorite times of the uh, church calendar for us at Fellowship. We get in the habit of studying a gospel between Christmas and Easter, and we've been doing this uh, before I was here and continued on. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to kicking off the series, and I invited you to imagine a car crash. And this fits with all four of our gospels, but the way I shared it before, it might ring a bell out at the corner of... Uh, Lakewood and River, if you imagine that all of a sudden two cars came together, a crash happened, there would be certain details that uh, people paid attention to, what was happening with the traffic light, the sounds and the smells and stuff like that. The Gospels are a little bit like that kind of thing. Something happened in the world, and you could imagine someone standing on each of the four corners of that intersection and looking at it from a little bit of a different angle. And then you could imagine also that from that particular angle, that person would view it and then lean backwards to tell the people they know and care about what mattered about that particular thing. And so they would tell some of the very same details as they do with the stories of Jesus. There are things that are in all four Gospels, the crucifixion, for example, and other details that all four of them are sure to tell about. 
And then there are other details that some tell and others don't. There are these kinds of differences because each gospel writer is noticing a little bit of a different thing or they are telling the story to a different audience and they have a little bit of a different uh, intent for doing that. So John's gospel is another one of these and John would have been one of those eyewitnesses as opposed to like Mark. Mark would not have literally been on the corner. Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. He is likely reporting Peter's story of Jesus. He knew Peter well, and he wrote a gospel based on a lot of Peter's experience. Uh, John is one of the disciples that would have been standing right on that very corner there. Uh, he calls himself the beloved disciple. As you read this gospel, you'll notice that there's this cryptic language about one disciple who's rarely named and almost always called the beloved disciple. He is likely speaking of himself, which is a little interesting and somewhat you know, awkward. We wouldn't necessarily elevate ourselves that way necessarily, but he thinks of himself as the beloved disciple, which is kind of funny. Uh, John is the most different of all of the Gospels. They're the, the first three are called synoptic because they have a lot in common. They tell a lot of the same stories. John, the fourth Gospel, goes in different directions and gives us a lot of material that the other three Gospel writers don't actually include one of the ways that uh, people have noticed that John tells the story a little differently is that he speaks, and his book is actually arranged in two major halves. He speaks about the book of signs, the first half of it, and the book of glory, the second half of it. The book of signs is literally his word for miracle. He doesn't really use the word miracle. When something spectacular and of God happens, it's called a sign. And he's telling only a handful of these signs, not everything he ever saw, because his intent is that we would believe. So almost always there is a sign, and it's told for a reason. It has a teaching lesson. It's something spectacular that truly mattered, and it teaches. That's the book of signs. We'll be in that for the majority of this first bit of the journey that we're together. The book of glory is the surprising twist where now we're talking about Jesus, where he does these things that no one expected. He goes to a cross. He dies a shameful death. He's abandoned by all of his friends, and he rises from the dead. Sorry to, spoiler alert. <laughs> you know these things, and it's good to know these things. One other feature that's unique to the Gospel of John is he is the one who gives us all of the I am statements. Perhaps you've heard them before. Usually they're counted as seven. There's actually a few extra instances, but I am is this superpower phrase that links back to an Old Testament story of God, giving God's name, and it's, it's relating to that. Now Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am, I am, I am. Uh, it's wonderfully theological, theologically rich. But what we're going to notice with the Gospel of John, and I know I got this bit from Nate Skipper in the sermon that he longed to preach. It's hard to write a sermon and then not get to preach it, and then next week the text is different, so it's kind of like he spent all of his energy on this, and there it goes. But one of the things I know he wanted to say about the Gospel of John is that this one is a bit like a eulogy. Because he's the beloved disciple, he's one who knew and loved Jesus well and seems to have been loved well back. So his intention is not necessarily to be chronological or to tell things in the way that, like Luke does, who tries to write an orderly account and seeks to be kind of a historian, orderly kind of guy. John's is a little bit more like a eulogy, where after a person has gone by, you get up and you say, these are the things that I think really, really mattered about this person. And it doesn't really matter if they're in perfect order kinds of things. So it's a little bit like a eulogy. Thanks, Nate, for that uh, tidbit. 
That's the text, uh, the, the overview real briefly that we have of this gospel, the gospel of John. I could say so much more about it, but what do you say we get into it first? I invite you to open your pew Bibles if you have one or one if you brought with you, and I invite you to hear these words, kind of the precursor story to this uh, gospel of Jesus. And it begins with uh, a different person named John, not the author of the book, John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, who was referenced in this super powerful prologue, which paints up Jesus uh, wonderfully as the one who was in the very beginning with God and so on and so forth. And then there's a witness uh, who, who points to this Jesus. And this is what the story says. We're gonna read verse 19 to 39. So hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Now this was John, John the Baptist's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will, be ba who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, Come, and you will see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First thing I want to draw your attention to today is John the Baptist, this unique character, and he really is a unique bird, if you will. John looked different, John lived different, and John spoke differently. You know from the scriptures uh, that he looked different, and in fact, in the Chosen series, if you watch some of those things, he's a really different looking dude. They have to 
make these decisions uh, for theater stuff. He looked quite different. He, was, he dressed different. He ate wild honey. He was a very different guy. He lived out in a different place, and he lived different patterns than most people did. He was this person out in the wilderness, known to be kind of an eccentric type. And most importantly, what I want to notice today is that he spoke differently. He spoke differently. In fact, he, uh, there's at least three instances there where, one, he says, I am not the Messiah. Two, he repeatedly points at Jesus and says, look at that one instead. And three, he eventually says, not in the t- text that we just read, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. These are just a few of the examples of John the Baptist who is doing something very, very different than our culture would typically do. You think he's a religious leader. He has disciples of his own. You'd think that he'd want to make sure he keeps his own and grows his group, but actually he's sending his disciples off to follow this Jesus instead. He is pointing at him recurringly, and he is intentionally going down the ladder so that someone else can go up it. This is something that caught my attention uh, quite sharply. Uh, This week, I guess, to be honest, actually. Nate told me he was going to call me out, surprise on this anyway, so that's no secret, I guess. But I turned 40 this past week, so I'm, I'm officially hitting a midlife crisis right now. And, uh, and, and so I've been thinking a little bit about life. And alongside of that also, Jess and I both together share a beginning. This is three-year anniversary of being formally at fellowship with you guys, which is really cool. These things make me a little nostalgic, if you will, thinking a little bit about the bigger pictures of life, a 40th birthday and an anniversary at a, at a beloved place. And it makes me think, uh, alongside this John the Baptizer, about uh, what really matters in life, and particularly for me right now, to start thinking about a second half of life. Most people divide it at this 40 mark, and younger and older, and how we know from uh, spiritual growth patterns, from psychological growth patterns, from social growth patterns, that there is a tipping point at some point in our life And it usually is around this time, if we're paying attention. In fact, I had a good friend who said to me this week, that he said, now that I'm 40, I am old enough to begin growing up, right? So, So we're there. And it makes me mindful of the fact that the first 40 years of our life, give or take, we spend a lot of our time trying to build ourselves up. We look to achieve. We want people to see us. And we want to succeed. We want to have the stuff that we want to have. We're building a life, and it's a lot focused towards me, right? We do this. It's okay. It's part of our development. But eventually, there comes a point where you begin to make a shift, and you start to realize, what if we point the attention elsewhere? What if success in life is not everybody knowing that I am great? What if success in life is actually drawing the attention to the right ones? Jesus and helping others to rise up themselves rather than everybody knowing how great I am. I hope you can start to realize this is what John the Baptist does. He is the one who recurringly points at Jesus and seeks to make Jesus great. And he even oddly takes some of his very own disciples and says, you know what, go and follow him instead because it'll be better for you to follow him instead even though if it strikes my ego and I have less followers myself. He must increase, I must decrease. This is an important part of Christian development for all of us, and we see it pretty easily displayed in 
John the Baptist. Kind of cool. So I wonder if it would invite you right now at the beginning of a new year to take pause and just ask yourself, who are you elevating in life right now? Devotionally, I would hope and wonder with you, are you elevating Jesus? Are you looking to him? Missionally, I wonder if there's someone around you that now it's time to redefine success, not as me succeeding, but this other person rising up and succeeding. Because that's what John the Baptist does as well. So who are you elevating? That's what I wonder about with this John the Baptist. If you look at this text throughout this week, I hope you noticed he keeps on pointing otherwise. He literally says, I am not the Messiah. Our world wants to say, I am the Messiah. We like to think of ourselves as the saviors of our own lives. John the Baptist shows us a different way. Second, and maybe more so, I want you to notice Jesus, of course, in this text. And Jesus is specifically named uniquely, in fact, uniquely in all of Scripture in this text, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Another tidbit I gleaned from Nate real briefly this morning was that he was intending to notice with us how uh, in middle school we use lots of names for our friends and for ourselves, and usually there's these animal names that aren't so wonderful and encouraging, so you call each other a scaredy cat, or if you eat too much, you're pigging out. Uh, there's the, the old um, back to the future phrase where if you call someone chicken, <laughs> that puts, stops you in your tracks, and it's just the highest offense to call someone else chicken. Uh, lamb might fit in that category of names. It's not lion. It's not some of these other really, like, appealing names that you might want to have attached to someone. Lamb is a bit different. Uh, in our scriptures, we know there's a history of this term lamb that matters, right? So, Notably, at the Passover, it was this lamb who was slain and its blood post painted on the doorposts, and that is literally what saved them in that time where the angel passed over those places uh, because the lamb had marked the door. In Leviticus, there's all kinds of rules, and there became an entire religious system about having the right lambs to sacrifice at the, at the right place, and this was about the uh, uh, forgiveness and appeasement of sins. Uh, we know elsewhere in our scriptures, uh, other references that are, are, that are lamb-like, where Psalm 23 is the shepherd's psalm, and we have these images of what it's like to be a lamb. Isaiah 53 speaks of a lamb that is silent before its shearers, and it's pointing at this one who is going to do some remarkable things in and for the world and it's leaning towards this person named Jesus. Jumping all the way into the book of Revelation, we have a slain one, a slain lamb, who is sitting on the throne. And it's a really, really wonderful image. All of these together, I, will, I hope you notice that when John the Baptist is saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is hinting at one of the Bible's way of saying that this Jesus really did come to make right what's wrong with the world. In our theology, we have all kinds of different ways of thinking about this, and, and we offer different models about Jesus the victor who defeats the powers of evil, Jesus the one who pays our debt or the ransom that needs to be made, Jesus as the second Adam who does things right where Adam did things wrong. 
We have Jesus as a moral influencer, etc. But we also have Jesus, particularly with this lamb language, as the one who somehow takes our place, who offers to us a blessed exchange, where he takes our stripes and we are healed by him. That's what's going on here. And the implications are enormous and sometimes almost even offensive to Christian communities because it is for the sin of the whole world. The sin of the whole world. We don't need to understand this. And in fact, the way that we think about uh, atonement as Christians, I like to think of it as like a diamond and you twist a diamond and look at it from a different angle and the more you twist it and the more you look at it differently, the light hits it differently and it's richer and richer the more you see the different angles. So it is, is here with Jesus, but it is worth noticing that from the very beginning, he is pointed out as the one who does what the world most needs. Whatever that most needed thing is for you and for this whole world, he is the one who came to make it right. Pretty cool that John came to point that out. Last thing, and this is your takeaway for the morning. John has a unique feature in the way that he talks about disciples following Jesus. And so more typically in the other Gospels, it is Jesus invites people to come and follow me. In John's Gospel, the invitation is to come and see. And I love that. And I want you to hear that today, where first Jesus says to some of the disciples who are starting to follow him, they say, where are you staying? He says, come and see. He's inviting them into a journey. Doesn't even tell them what it's all about. It's just come and see, experience it. The disciples then go repeat that exact language to one another. Philip goes and calls Nathaniel saying, who is this Jesus? Come and see, come and see. That's what I hope that we can begin to do together here, Fellowship Church, as we begin to wonder, who is this man who has puzzled and fascinated and upended in a good way this whole world? Who is this man? Come and see. Let's find out together. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for this opening story and for John the baptizer who pointed to Jesus, how we can learn from him about making you more than us and even seeking to elevate others too. Thank you for this Jesus, the one who is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I pray that even as we cannot really understand what that means, that you would make it true in our lives and for this world. Help us on the journey, we pray. In his name, amen. Would you stand and let's join our voices together in singing to the one who is worthy. We'll let the band come out. <laughs> Nate and Ross both turned 40 this year. And what I learned this morning is that I have a couple more years to keep building. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> I'm way younger than they are. <laughs> no, truly, Jesus is the only worthy one. And as we see the, the darkness in our world and the sin in our world, we, we know we can look to him. Let's sing together.
Friends, the question is worth asking, and it's worth asking throughout a lifetime. Who is this man? And to hear him say to all of us, come, come and see. As you go from this place to begin wondering and following, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.